0: We're going to start a new series today, which means I'm going to have to preach fast, and y'all are going to have to listen even faster, okay? I only got one speed, so y'all have to do the best you can. But we're going to start a new series this week, and I don't know how long we're going to spend in it, but we're going to spend several Sundays. And I'm just calling it Standing Firm. And... I'm in today's today's uh, sermon or lesson, whatever you want to call it. That we are at war. Really, we are. Really. And the reason I'm gonna, what I'm going to share today is because some of you, you struggle with accepting that. Okay, you, you struggle with 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 the fact that we're at war. we 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 live in America. Yes. But we're at war. Now we're not at war with each other, and I want you to understand that the whole point of what I'm going to share is we're not we're not in a a battle against people. Okay, we're not. Paul puts it this way: we don't war against flesh and blood. But there's a war going on, and it's a spiritual war, and it's raging all around us, and we live in a battlefield. And y'all are going to have to give me five seconds because I've lost my clip back here, but I'll have it in just a second. But We live on a battlefield. Now, we, it, it, it doesn't really matter what subdivision you live in. It doesn't ma- matter what the area you call home. It doesn't matter what position you hold or the vocation that you work in or the vocation you don't work in. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Doesn't matter how prosperous you are or if you're struggling just to make ends meet. Doesn't matter your social status. Doesn't matter location, destination, or participation. You live on a battlefield. It may look nice out here, folks, but it's a war zone. Amen? Some of you believe me and some of you don't. So for those of you that don't. I'm going to spend the rest of the time trying to convince you okay that what I'm saying is biblical. This war that we are in it's not necessarily a physical war, okay it's a spiritual war there there are there are things happening around us that most of us cannot see. There's a spiritual war going on there's a battle going on, and it's being fought on various fronts. And, and what they call that in the military is theaters. It's different theaters of war. There's the cultural theater. Folks, our culture is at war. Okay? But it's not war between people. Okay? It appears to be a war between this group that wants that or that group that wants this. But that's not really the war. The battle is being fought in the heavenlies. There, There's an enemy that we face that wants to change our culture. So there's a cultural, there's a social theater, there are things that are going on in our nation right now that, that, that if you had told me 40 years ago you would be seeing this, I would have laughed at you, okay? See, I still, I mean, I'm not quite this old, but I remember the first curse word that was ever spoken in a movie. Gone with the wind, and to be honest with you, based on a lot of things I hear, it's not that really bad a curse word. But it, you know, what I'm saying, based on, but, but that's just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're trying to re- redefine what marriage is in this nation, and not just in this nation, in this world. There's all kinds of social theater. There's a political theater, or maybe a government. Mental theater. I mean, we're, we're trying to decide if our Constitution should continue or if we need to write a new one. Okay? Now, here's where I stand on that. I believe God put together a group of men. Now, I don't believe that the Constitution is like the Bible, but I think God led those men. And they understood what it was like to live under a king. And so they prayed, and they sought God, and what happened, the result of that was a constitution that has taken care of us for a long time, and if we will live by it, we'll continue to take care of us. But there's there's all kind of political things going on. We live in a, in a, in a, in a there's a battle in the in the religious realm, or the church realm. I'm, I'm, I hate to connect those two together, because they're really not supposed to be the same, but, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but the, but. We can't even agree with each other. There's a war going on. Technologically, there's a war going on. I mean, I am boggled at what you can do now. I can take my cell phone, and I've got a computer now in my hand. I can get almost any information I want in a matter of seconds if I can get a bar, okay? That's the only problem I have is a bar. But, but there's a war going on philosophically. There are so many philosophies out there that we're just basically confused. And then the last one I'm going to mention is the judicial theater, the, the, the law. It's, there's a battle, folks, going on. And it's a battlefield that's multifaceted. In other words, that battlefield changes moment by moment. And if we hope to survive, and we hope to be victorious, folks, it's time that we woke up and that we stood up and that we started waging warfare. And I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm not talking about standing on street corners with signs. I'm not talking about insurrection or terrorism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about waging spiritual warfare that's grounded in biblical truth rather than passive ignorance. And what do you mean by passive ignorance? Well, it's just ignoring things. Okay, surah, surah, whatever will be, will be. Jesus is coming, and he'll take me one day. Well, he may come and take you, and you may die before he gets here. I don't know which. I believe that he could come at any moment. But you know what? If we don't stand up, and we don't wage warfare, folks, what we know and what we believe will disappear. You say, well, well, Jesus wouldn't allow that. Folks, you need to study history. You need to study the history of the last 2,000 years. The early church started off strong, but then things began to happen. And before long, the church that arose out of that, you wouldn't even recognize it today. You couldn't believe it if I was to share some of the things about it. And folks, the same thing can happen to us. We can re-enter dark ages. In fact, we may have already entered, in a sense, the dark ages again. But we can't passively ignore the writing on the wall. If you're passive and you ignore things, you get defeated in battle. If you have an enemy, you need to keep your eye on your enemy. We can all hope it gets better, but the truth is, Scripture says that it's not going to get better. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. Now, we can join the battle, or we can hide. That's the choices we have. We can learn warfare, and we can engage the enemy, or we can be passive. And what will happen is we will become slaves. Okay? Mindless slaves. People that don't think anymore. And we are fast approaching that. People who are told what to do by the little gadget they carry around in their hand. You say, well, that'll never happen to me. Oh, it's happening left and right. Look around. It's on the Internet. you got to believe it. Now, we laugh, but the majority of people read and believe everything they see or hear on the Internet. Folks, if we get passive and if we don't refuse to be slaves, we will eventually die in spiritual chains, even though we're the sons and the daughters of God. We can still be enslaved and put back in bondage on this planet. So to survive on the battlefield is not enough. I don't think we're here just to survive, okay? Survival is too low a goal to shoot for. Amen. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could survive. I got one amen. I got a few people that believe me and a few people are not real sure. Where are you going, Nelson? Folks, Jesus died on the cross so that we could thrive. Jesus died. And when Jesus died and when he was resurrected, he won the war. Okay. The war, and I'm going to share some things. We've got, we've got this mindset that God's at war. God's not at war. God's never really been at war, in a sense, because there's no one who can threaten God. With a word, He speaks, and His enemies are gone. We have some rebellion going on, and He will deal with it at the proper time. But folks... Jesus won the war. He won the victory. And our job is, we don't have to fight for victory. We fight from a position of victory. And there's a big difference. We don't have to struggle and strive to win. We've already won. We just have to live out the victory every day. And so, if all you want to do is survive, then really Jesus' sacrifice was wasted. Folks, this is a victory that we can walk in. But we need to understand some very basic things about spiritual warfare. What we truly believe governs us. It produces actions. And we act out what we really believe. I don't care what you say. I don't care what a person says. What they do is what they believe or what they don't believe. And so everything else we do is either conjecture or fantasy or, or theory. Now, most of us say we believe that that this is God's word. Amen. Now, I could I could break down within here and inspired get a whole bunch of, amens, but the reality is, are we living by it? See, if I'm not living by it, I don't really believe it. It's a good theory. I believe it here, maybe, but do I really believe it here? Most of us are ignorant of what this book teaches when it comes to warfare. Our idea of warfare is, is better defined by what we read in books or what we see on TV. And, folks, God has given us a battle manual, a manual that not only will keep us alive on the battlefield, but if we follow it, will make us victorious. In every situation, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hard the enemy pursues us, if we will stick to the book, which is the sword of the Spirit, folks, we will wage victorious warfare. Now, the early church used it, and they didn't even have it. In the printed form that we had, they had the Old Testament primarily, and an epistle. If if you were in a a, well, for instance, if you were in Corinth, you got a letter from Paul, and you hung on to it. You didn't have the rest of the stuff, and for the first three hundred years, you know what? The church was victorious. They drove the enemy back into the holes, and back into the shadows. But something happened. Christianity went from a persecuted religion to the state religion. And guess what happened? The enemy crawled back out of the hole. And for the last 1,700 years, we have used this word to slice and dice each other rather than to use it against our enemy. We've turned an unconquerable army effectively into a a million little units who are major no minors and minor no majors. This group believes this, that group believes that, we don't believe this, we believe this, yada, yada, yada. And you know what the devil's done? He's kicked back at the beach in his easy chair because he doesn't have to fight anymore. We're fighting each other. And so instead of evangelizing the world, instead of doing the works of Jesus, instead of destroying the works of the devil, we're wandering around in circles wondering who we are and why we're here. Folks, we've come to the place literally in the church that we can't even agree on what's evil and what's good, what's wicked and unrighteous and what's righteous. We've reached a place where evil and wickedness are now called good, and true righteousness is called intolerance. It's called narrow-mindedness, or it's the seeds of terrorism. True good is now called evil. Folks, we live in the last days. We really do. And the church is in retreat, okay? We're not charging the gates of hell anymore. We're in retreat from gates. Now, I want you to see the picture there, okay? We have charged the gates. The gates shut the enemy out. They shut the intruders. They shut the the ones that are trying to take the city out. We're on the outside trying to take the city. And all of a sudden, we started running. From what? Gates? See, we're not pursuing We're not kicking the gates of hell down anymore. It's become more fashionable to run than it's fashionable to stand firm and to resist and to recapture the ground that's been lost. Folks, there are just a few warriors left on the battlefield. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and say, well, you know what, that's Billy Graham's job. Well, you need to check in case you hadn't. Billy Graham's in his 90s now, and nobody's replaced him. say, well, that's, that's James Dobson and focus on the family's job. Well, you need to check your James Dobson and focus on the family. They can't do it all by themselves. You say, well, hey, that's Charles and Annie Stanley's job. Well, they can only be one place at one time. Well, that's the church channel's job. Well, okay, enough said. And I'm not casting rocks at the church channel. I watch it. You have to... Eat fish when it comes to the church channel. Take the fish and spit out the bones. All right? You say, well, maybe that's Pat Robertson's in the 700s club. Well, Pat's getting old. See, they have been warriors for years and years and years. They've stood on the front line. You say, "Well, well, that's your job, Brother Nelson. Well, yes, it is. It is my job. But you know what? You may be saying, that's somebody else's job. It's not mine. And I would answer that, oh, really? Really? Folks, what I'm talking about is not a job. I'm talking about a calling that's been given to every one of us as children of the kingdom. We're all called to wage warfare, to fight the good fight. I love what Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said in his little book. It's not very long. It's It's one chapter but it is loaded with stuff. And I want you just to, to listen as I read Jude chapter, oh, I'm going to say it, but there's not a chapter three. Verse three. Jude had intended to write to these folks a, a letter that, that would encourage them and they could talk about different things, but he, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It was delivered to the, to the church. It was delivered to us. Jude uses language that, that a lot of times we don't pick up. It's, it's warfare language. That's what it is. This, this, this coming to this group of people and, and with a necessity and with, with appealing to you and, and continuing, those are battle terms. He comes. It's a speech that a, that a Roman centurion would have given his men before they went out to fight. He, he, he would. Come, it was the idea of coming alongside a group of soldiers or sailors that are a little bit hesitant, a little bit frightened by what they face, and encouraging them. He he comes alongside them, and 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 you you can almost see the picture. They're marching down through there, and he's running alongside of them, encouraging them to stand strong and to fight hard. That's what Jude's doing here. He's coming alongside of us, and and he, and he says, "I want you to. I want you to." Contend earnestly for the faith. And that word contend means to wrestle. And it was a word that would have been very uh, very popular in the first century. It would have a word that would not only have been used in warfare, but it would have been used in sports. And in the first century, sports and warfare were not a lot different. Okay? have, you, have Any of you ever seen Greco-Roman wrestling? That's not the stuff up there with the flying... Whatever's and, and stuff, and you jump off the, 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 the bone crusher. It's not that kind of stuff. It's that grappling, and uh, I know when we watch it at our house, Kathy don't really like to watch it. She wants me to change the channels. That's the way they wrestled. And the thing was is that it was winner take all. Very often, the loser died. So it's a, it's a death. It's a hand-to-hand combat, struggle to the death. And that's what, that's what Jude is saying here about our faith, that we have to contend for it. We have to wrestle for it every day because it's been delivered one time. The milkman came one time. He's not coming again to deliver the faith to us. The next time he comes, he's coming to set up his kingdom here. Okay, he won't come as a baby in a manger. He will come as a king. And so he's given us the faith. He's given us the, the ability to believe and to be filled with the power of God and to be filled with the spirit, and we've got to contend for it. We've got to hang on to it. we've got to know it, and we've got to share it. God has called all of us into the battle. We're all soldiers. If you're a believer this morning, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are a soldier in God's army. Now, not every soldier is a warrior. Okay? I'm I'm, I'm making a difference. Those that have been into battle and have fought the good fight are warriors. Okay? And those that have stood on the sidelines and cheered, they're soldiers. Or have turned their backs or have, well, this doesn't apply to me. God's looking for warriors, okay? He's looking for warriors. So, Nelson, that's kind of hard. Well, all of us wear the uniform, but not all of us are swinging a sword. Okay? and That's what I mean by that. Not all of us are taking the fight to the enemy. God has equipped all of us, though, to be champions. He's, he's equipped us to take it And to give it. Okay? We don't just have to take it. That's one of the reasons that that I want to teach this this study. Is that I want you to understand how to give it back. And how to be victorious. How to walk in victory. So we've been taught for some reason that, you know, we just have to hang on. Dig us a foxhole. Get in the bottom of it. Jesus is coming back. I just can't find getting the foxhole and hang on in Scripture. I find the Jesus is coming back part. And I find story after story after story of individual who persevered and who stood up and who was counted and who fought the good fight. And folks, we have to fight the good fights. All of us can be champions. Now, the fight I'm talking about is not a fight that you can hire a replacement for. In other words, you can't hire your pastor to be your mercenary, okay? I can't fight your battles. You can't fight my battles. We fight together. I pray for you, you pray for me, but you know what? We all have to stand up. And we all have to, to stand firm. And if you if you take up your sword and you're willing to take your place in the battlefield and face the enemy, that's one choice. But a lot of Christians want to act like there's no battle going on and then they want to cry and moan and bellyache and complain about how tough stuff is. Look, if you won't take up a sword, stop complaining. You say, well, I don't have a very big sword. Swing it with all you got. Well, my sword's broke. Swing it. I hear hear pastors talk about Roman soldiers and how the only weapon, offensive weapon they had was their sword. Well, they don't know anything about warfare. And they don't know anything about Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier would kill you with his sandals if he could. They had spikes on them. He'd take his shield and he would knock your brains out if he could, if he lost his sword. He would take his helmet and use it for a weapon if he had to. He would fight with anything that he had. And folks, Scotch just called us to stand firm, to fight. To withstand the enemy. So I believe, my own personal belief is that it's time for the bride of Christ to stand up. One of these days she's going to wear white. And Jesus is going to come. She's going to put that bridal gown on and there's going to be a wedding and a marriage supper of the Lamb. But until that day comes, she needs to put on her Kevlar, she needs to put on a helmet, and she needs to strap on her combat boots. Okay? That's where we are. We're on the battlefield. We're not in the wedding chamber yet. Now, here's what I know. Many of you are struggling in all kinds of areas. Amen? Has anybody in here not got a problem? Because if you are here and you have no problem, now would be the time to leave. Because we're going to mess you up. We all struggle with stuff, don't we? We're all being bombarded with all kinds of things. Some of us have gone through some things in the last six months that's just overwhelmed us almost. And and it's only by the grace of God that we're even where we're at today, that we can even make a sentence that makes sense. You're under attack, okay? You're under attack. And you can't duck low low enough in the foxhole to escape the enemy's assault. He is coming, okay? For you personally. His desire is to kill and steal and destroy. That's it. He has a limited amount of time left on his calendar. He has a destination, Scripture says, that he is headed to. An appointment that he cannot dodge. One day, Michael will descend with the Lord Jesus. And he will put him in chains and he'll be cast into a pit for a thousand years. Then he'll be released for a little period of time. And then God will send him to hell. See, he's not in hell. Hell is not his 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 home. Hell is is the place he will spend eternity in torment because of what he's done. He has a destination, and he knows it. He's aware of it. And he's doing everything that he can to destroy us. He cannot destroy God. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this. He cannot destroy God. He thought he could attack God, and he found out he couldn't even do that. And God cast him out of heaven. He's a rebel. Okay? In rebellion. But folks, Jesus came to die for us, to defeat him as a human being, so that we could be encouraged and stand firm and fight the good fight. I'm going to preach a sermon on that too. I believe God's got a, a word for you this morning. Some of you are here this morning and you're fighting sickness, you're fighting uh, disease, you're fighting illness. Some of you are fighting issues uh, with jobs. Some of you, are, your finances are under attack. Some of you, your marriages are under attack. Some of you, your spouse is under attack. Your children are under attack. You've done everything God has told you to do. And it seems the enemy is, is running wild and he's wrecking havoc in your life. You're frustrated. Any of you frustrated? Confession is good for the soul. I had a frustration fit yesterday. I'm human. Took it out on my aluminum ladder. Now, I didn't fall off of it. I didn't (laughs) climb on it. But I just threw it a few times because it made me feel better. Okay? Frustrated. Some of you are exhausted. You're about to the place where you don't feel like you can go another step forward. You can't put one foot in front of the other. You can't think. You feel like maybe this is my last leg. I know what Custer felt like it when there wasn't anybody left but him. Well, I believe God's got a word for you this morning. Okay? Very simple word. Stand firm. Say what? Stand firm. It's biblical, okay? It comes straight out of the Word of God. I want you, If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm, I'm going to, we'll talk more about this passage. We're not going to talk about armor this morning. We're just going to focus on these two words. and Really, it's one word in the Greek. It says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, there's the secret, folks. It's not our strength. It's not our might. It's His strength and His might. And we are in Christ. Put on the full armor of God. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, the full armor of God is Jesus Christ. Okay? It's just Jesus. Put on Jesus. He could have said that there. Put on Jesus that you may be able to stand firm. This is the first time He says it that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But it's against rulers and against powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, we are fighting the devil and his demons. And they have been, he has sent them to destroy us. Because we are the sons and the daughters of God. And not just because we're the sons and the daughters of God. He sent them to destroy humanity as a whole. Why? Because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. Because God has poured out His love on us singularly in a way that He poured it out on no other creature. And Satan hates that. He hates that. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then in verse 13 he says, Therefore, because of this, take up the full armor of God. Put on all of Jesus that you may be able to resist in the evil day. That's another translation for stand firm. Same word. little different uh, uh, form of the word, but it's the same root word. And having done everything to stand firm. Then in the very beginning of verse 14 he says, Stand firm therefore. Do, do you reckon... I know that's probably not good English, but do you reckon the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate something to us? Four times, four times in four verses, He tells us to stand firm. Why? Because we are to enforce the victory of Calvary. Okay, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And we're to enforce that victory. And folks, if we don't enforce that victory, if we don't hold the ground, guess what happens? The enemy pushes us back. He pushes us back. He pushes us back until finally there's no place to go. And we are fast approaching that place as a people and as a nation. To stand firm means to, to hold the little plot of ground between your right and your left leg, okay? If you only have one leg, that means to hold the ground between your shoulders, okay? It, it doesn't mean you got to hold 50 acres of ground. It just means you hold that little two or three feet right there, depending on how tall you are and how big you are. That's all he tells us to do is to stand firm and hold it. You know, I've found in Scripture that if the Bible tells you one, one time to do something, you should do it. If Very often it will say something three times, which three is, the, is, is God's number. It's the number of completion. This is one of the rare places in Scripture that, that we're told to do it four times. And see, what I do know is it must be important then, because the Holy Spirit would not have wasted the Apostle Paul as he wrote it. He wouldn't have wasted the ink. He wouldn't have wasted the paper. And he certainly wouldn't have wasted his breath if it were not important. And this word paints a picture. And if you'll just grab hold of it this morning and you'll activate it in your life, it will change the way you think. And all of a sudden, you'll go from a soldier to a warrior. See, a warrior says, Here I stand, and I will not retreat. I will not give up, I will not go back, and you will not deter me from following my God wherever he leads me. That's the difference between a soldier and a warrior. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. I don't know if you realize this, this or not, but he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Twenty-four hours a day, he looked at. He wasn't the same guy. They worked in shifts, but he got to when he went to sleep, he's looking at him. When he wakes up, he's looking at him. When he's eating lunch, he's looking at him. This is all he sees every day, and the Holy Spirit begins to use what he can see in the natural to share a, 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 a spiritual picture with him. The soldier that that Paul would have stared at represented. Probably the most effective warrior in the world at that time uh, they had honed their skills and their training uh, to 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 the to the, they were lean mean killing machines i don 't know how a better way to say it okay they were effective they conquered most of the known world from England all the way past Syria into Arabia, all along the Mediterranean, North Africa, they were the world superpower. They were feared. They were feared because they were effective, they were tenacious, and they had better training. And just before they would go into battle, the general, or what they would call the imperator, would call together his officers... And he would give them their specific parts of their battle plans. And then the, those officers would, would call together their centurions. A centurion was, a, was an officer who commanded from 80 to 100 soldiers. And he was a, he was a battle-hardened veteran. Okay, He didn't get his, his position because he knew somebody, which a lot of soldiers that were higher up did. He didn't get it because he had political clout. He got it because he earned it on the battlefield. And so he understood what battle was about. He understood what it was like to lead men into battle. He understood what it was like that somebody they were going to give their lives up very possibly. And so what would happen is these officers would share with the, the, the different centurions what their responsibilities were. And that centurion would gather his 80 to 100 men and he would give them a speech. And the speech, for the most part, was the same every time. He would walk through and tell them how they were fighting for the glory of the emperor and for the glory of Rome. And he would talk to them about how important it was to support one another. But the last thing he would say before uh, he finished his speech, he would tell them to stand firm, which meant they were to hold when they when they entered the battlefield. They were to hold the ground they were standing on, no matter what. And in in their culture and in their military discipline, uh, if a soldier ran or retreated, the men in his outfit clubbed him to death or stoned him. If you look at a Roman soldier, the back of a Roman soldier, there's not a lot of uh, armor back there. They were never to turn their backs on the battlefield. They were always to move forward. That's what they were designed for. And so that's the picture that that Paul's seeing here. And so that, that centurion would tell them, it would be better for you to die on the battlefield and be carried off on your shield than it would to dishonor the soldiers you serve with and to dishonor your nation and dishonor your emperor. Folks, listen to me. Once we put on the armor of God, we keep it on. Now, I know I do this sometimes. Uh, I know people that daily, they pray through that armor. And they they put it on. They imagine themselves putting it on. And that's a great tool to keep it at the forefront of your mind. But the reality of it is, is when we put on Jesus, we are putting on that armor. When Jesus comes into our life, guess what? We get the helmet. We get the belt. We get the breastplate. We get the shoes. We get the sword. And we get the shield. We're fully equipped. We just don't know how to use it. But we don't ever take it off. We live in it from that day forward. And so we don't take our armor off. Every person in this room who knows Jesus Christ has the ability to stand firm. You have the power to hold the ground that God has given you and He's entrusted you. I want to just share for a minute or two. And I'm going to close. What it means. Paul uses that word four times. Uh, Two of the words are are exactly the same form. The other two are a little bit different, but they're the same root word. But in verse 13, uh, well, let me back up. In verse 11, it says that you'll be able to stand firm. It means to plant your feet and hold your ground. That's the basic meaning of the word. He says, I want you to plant your feet and hold the ground that God's given you. You say, well, what's the ground I'm supposed to hold? Well, it may be your home. It may be your children. It may be the, uh, the, your spouse, your marriage. It may be uh, the place that you work. It, it, may, it could be anything. But God's given you that ground. He's planted one of His soldiers on it. He occupies it with you. You're not by yourself. You need to keep that in mind. You are in Christ. And so if if He has told you to stand firm, He's there. Now let's just cut to the chase and get to the end of this whole series. If Jesus is for you, who can be against you? Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Okay? So you can stand firm. But in verse 13, He he uses a different form of the word, and maybe this will encourage you because I think this is where most of us are this morning. The word that he uses in verse 13, he says, uh, let me find it, let me find it. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist. Resist. What in the world? It means that you may be able to withstand, that you may be able to stand firm in the face of an enemy attack. You stare him eyeball to eyeball and you don't blink. That's really what that word means. It means not to give an inch, no matter how hard it is, no matter how uh, strong the wind blows, no matter how dark it gets. You hold your ground. You dig your toenails in, and if you have to, your fingernails in, and you let the wind blow. You let the circumstance come. You let the situation come. No matter how hot the battle gets. And, and listen to me. Sometimes that battle is withering. Amen. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it seems like I can't go any farther. If one more thing happens, well, I'm out of here. you ever been there? Some of you have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But you know what? For too long, the church has retreated from those kind of battles. We've not stood our ground And the reason the church retreats is because individual Christians retreat. It's just easier to get along and go along. Well, folks, you can only get along and go along up to a point. There comes a point whether this is true or it's not true. And if this is true, on this we will stand. And if it's not true, then we have no hope anyway. Paul's talking about withstanding, not retreating. You see, God never intended for us to retreat. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So we'd have the the same power source living in us that Jesus operated under when he was here. Except we get him inside of us. And he never leaves. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And so the idea that Paul's talking about here is, is of warriors. When when the Romans would go into battle, they would rush onto the field, and they would take up their, their uh, uh, formations and their alignments. And very often, they would stand still and allow the enemy to throw his best at them. I mean, the enemies, you know, the archers would kick off, and it would start raining arrows everywhere. The charioteers would come rolling down through there. Or the cavalry would come rolling down through there. But the the Roman soldiers would link their shields and stand. They would withstand. And You know, it. it I mean, I, I can't imagine the sounds. I can't imagine you probably could have heard your own heartbeat. And yet, they didn't move. They didn't give an inch. They withstood the enemy's attack. And then when, when that first wave was over, very often the signal would be given and they would move. They'd begin to take ground instead of give ground. That's what God has called us to do, folks. He's called us to dig our toes in and take the enemy's best shot and give it back to him. Now, this is where most of you say, Nelson, you are nuts. I may be. But the Word of God says that God has given us authority and power over the serpents and the scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing He will do can arm us. He has given us authority to to ensure the victory. It's won, but we enforce it. You see, the reason the devil is doing what he's doing in our lives is because most of us are not fighting back. You've heard me use this illustration before, but just imagine your home. This is where you live. This is where your babies sleep. This is where your spouse is asleep. And there's somebody trying to get in your front door. What do you do? Well, I don't know about you, but at my house, I do whatever I need to do to keep you away from them. You're not coming through my front door unless you come over me. You're not going to mess with my wife unless you get rid of me. And until we get that idea in our mind, spiritually speaking, the enemy's going to have his way in our life. He's going to torment us and torture us. You know, i just gotten to the point where I said, hey, you know what, devil, you are not coming in my house anymore. And if you do, then you will face the wrath of Jesus Christ. You will face the power of the Holy Spirit. Does he still attack? You bet. He's looking for a crack in the window, tearing the screen. I have to be vigilant. Do I still get overwhelmed? You better believe it. Do I still mess up? Yes, I do. Every once in a while, I carry my head around under my arm, just like everybody else. But you know what? Every once in a while, I get to cut his head off, and he carries his head under his arm when he leaves my place. You say, Nelson, you are nuts. No, I'm being realistic, folks. We don't have to just take it. Jesus came to empower us to give it back to Him and to drive Him to destroy His works is the biblical term. It's to destroy His work, to bring redemption and healing and peace and comfort. And folks, we can't even do that in our own homes. How can we expect to do it into the thousands and millions that live around us of whom we've been sent to fight for? We are not standing firm. We're not planting our feet. We are in full retreat. Folks, every time we go into a battle, we ought to take control of it. The one who controls the battle, wins the battle. If you give up control, you lose. If the enemy gets in your head and stays there, Very long. Guess what? He goes back to his side with your head. So we can't let him in our head, and we can't give him control of the battlefield. Jesus gave us all the power, and he gave us all the authority we need to be victorious in whatever attack is launched against us. There's a peace. There's security in knowing And I'm going to win. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how rough it gets. I don't care if I lose an arm or a leg, metaphorically. I'm going to win if I'll just hang on to Jesus and I'll just stand firm. Do y'all believe me? Amen. Anything's going to Folks, if we are going to to charge the gates of hell. I want you all to get this picture again. The weaker of the opponents hides in a city and surrounds themselves with walls. The stronger the opponent comes to tear the cities down. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm giving you authority to kick in the doors of hell. Not to surround yourself in a little wall city and wait till I come back for you. But, folks, the first thing we have to do is learn to stand firm. We cannot give up control of the battlefield. It's a mindset, okay? For those of you that are visiting with us today, and this is the first time you've been here, I'm not nuts, okay? I really am not. I just have a mindset. It's a little more militant than, than most milk toast churches, okay? The Jesus I serve isn't a little golden-haired guy on the wall with a holy glow around him. The Jesus I serve is a victorious warrior. The Bible says he ascended into heaven and he shook the enemy off of him. See, the enemy thought he'd smothered the life out of him. He thought he'd killed him. He thought he had him in, in, in Hades and in the grave, in, in the prison house of the souls. But God sent the power of the Holy Spirit and raised him from the dead. And it says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he led captive, a host of captives. And he shook the devil off of him, folks. The devil has no more place in Jesus There's no more power over Jesus. Jesus took the the keys of of hell and the keys of death from Him. See, we are in Jesus. You you, you got that? When He arose from the dead, we arose with Him. We are in Christ. Christ. We have his power. We have his authority. And folks, if we will just plant our feet, about 75% of the time, the devil will squeal and go the other direction. He likes to play tag. He wants you to run so he can tag you from behind. He's not used to having to stand eyeball to eyeball with believers who won't blink, who won't give an inch who depend on Jesus Christ fully and who stand their ground. Folks, we need some men and women who will do that. I really believe God's raising up some warriors in this church. There's some of you, this is the first time you've ever fasted before and it's a struggle. It's it's a battle. Stand firm, don't blink. Some of you are involved in this vacation Bible school and you're, you're scared to death. Can I just... Take away some fear. The kids we will minister to in that community are the best behaved kids you will ever meet. Okay? Last year, I was blown away by those children and how respectful and how their behavior was such. We had no problems whatsoever. So don't worry about it. Don't listen to that lie. There are other areas that that the enemy is messing with you. Some of you, it's health. You know what? Trust Jesus. Grab a hold of Jesus. Don't listen to the lies he's whispering to you. Trust. Just stand firm. Over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how to stand firm and what it means to stand firm and why we can stand firm, okay? Today, I'm just telling you wherever you're at, maybe you're in retreat, maybe you're down deep in a foxhole under a rock, crawl out, straighten your back up, pick up your sword. See if you can find your shield, put your helmet on, take a stand. If you'll take a stand, God will provide everything that you need to keep you there. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.